Okay, we're going to be in Second uh, Timothy 2, reading uh, verses 14 to 26 this evening. Second Timothy 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk was spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus uh, and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If, perhaps, God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your word and giving us, uh, Lord, salvation through Christ, giving us your spirit, Lord, that we may understand it. Help us to be a diligent worker, Lord, that we would accurately handle your word. Lord, we know that uh, from your word we have life and godliness. So, Lord, help us to pursue these things and, Lord, to forsake our sin and to cling closely to you, Christ. So we pray in your holy name, in your son's holy and gracious name. Amen. So, uh, in this section, we have the Apostle Paul continuing his now second letter to Timothy, his beloved child in the faith. And he's continuing to admonish, to strengthen, and to encourage him to be an example for the church. And then also to protect them from those who wish to corrupt it uh, from spiritual destruction. And in verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. So in verse 14, he starts off by saying, Remind and solemnly charge them in the presence of God. So this is not some lighthearted matter. It's not something that is just frivolous. But he's saying, This is a serious thing that I'm telling you. So you make sure to charge them and make sure they know what they're uh, know what I'm saying. And he says to solemnly charge. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, but we'll pause. Uh, his reasoning is because of what he says at the end is it's uh, it is useless and it leads to the ruin of the hearers. And what is ruin but destruction? And then what is destruction but hell? And so these men are wrangling about words. And these words will send them to hell. They're not being mindful of the word of Christ. They're not being mindful of the truthfulness of there it is, of, um, of the clarity of Scripture. They're making God a God of confusion. And Paul is telling them and warning them, uh, these men are running headlong to destruction. 
And so if we do this as well, these things will also send us to hell. And we have to be, uh, we have to stay clear from it. We have to stay away from these fruitless discussions. They do not build us up in the faith, but they actually destroy us. And this is what even he, Paul teaches in Titus 3.9. And it says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So these, this wrangling of words, it does nothing for the hearers and it doesn't do anything for us. But it, in fact, will destroy us and destroy our souls. And this is what wicked worldly men love to do. They love to wrangle over words and make confusing the word of Christ, the word of truth, which is actually very clear. And for example, right, we, we know that God created the world in six literal 24-hour days. But what do men like to do? They, they will say, um, well, did God actually create it in six 24-hour days or was it six billion years? You know, a day, uh, a day equals a billion years, or is it six hundred thousand, or is it six thousand? But no, what does the Word of God tell us? It says six twenty-four hour little literal days. So we cannot take it any other way. But this, uh, what the Scripture is telling us and teaching us, and we cannot uh, go to the left nor to the right, and but we have to stay on the straight and narrow way of what God's Word is telling us. Um, but they act like they are wiser than God. This is the position they put themselves in. They, they make themselves more esteemed. They think they are higher than the word of Christ. They say that um, they have the secret knowledge. They're the ones wise and that we need to listen to them. But also, what does Proverbs 1.7 teach, teach us? What we've been going over as well Sundays. Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. So that's what we have to put our faith and trust in. We have to trust in the word of Christ rather than these men who are trying to upset our faith, who are trying to wrangle over useless words and these things that are distracting us from the word of God. And then also in 1 Corinthians 1.18 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for his signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because of the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So we certainly have the true knowledge of God, which comes from the word of God. And this is the very thing which Paul is telling us. And in verse 15 of, um, of 2 Timothy 2, he goes right into it and says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. So this is what we have to be. We have to be diligent workers of, uh, of the faith. We have to accurately handle the word of truth. We have the true knowledge. They do not. And we must not waste what God has given us. He has given us the ability to know His Word. He has given us the ability to handle His Word, to be around it, to be amongst the people of God. And we cannot squander what God has given us. 
And those that wrangle over these useless words are not diligent to present themselves approved to God. Instead, they, they are diligent in presenting themselves approved by man and then ultimately by Satan because that is who their Lord and Master is. They love the praise of men and not the praise of God. And they do so, in fact, because they say they believe in God's word. They say they're Christians. They say, oh, well, these scriptures, you know, they're, they're hard to understand, so let me enlighten you. I am a Christian. But they, in fact, are actually ashamed of God's word. And Paul tells us that we cannot be ashamed of his word. We have to be the very opposite. We have to be an unashamed worker. And um, no matter what they say, we cannot let them disturb our faith. And they might say they believe the truth, but their deeds, obviously, uh, by their deeds, they obviously deny him, according to Titus 1.16. And so, um, if we continue reading here in verse 15, so a workman who does not need to be ashamed. So, and Jesus also he tells us in John 6, 28 uh, to 29, he's questioned what the work of God is by the people of that day. And Jesus says, therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that, so that we may work the works of God? And it says, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So we have to believe in Christ, whom God the Father has sent in his furnished work and his death and resurrection. Right. And everything that prophets and apostles have said, because the Holy Spirit of Christ, or uh, the Holy Spirit has gone through the prophets and the apostles, speaking through, uh, God has spoke through these men. And so we have to believe the whole testimony of God. That includes uh, the six-day creation, all of these things. And then what's going to be brought up is they're claiming that the resurrection has already happened. But we have to deny all of these things. Whatever it is, we have to deny what is uh, contrary to the word of God. And so we have to believe Christ and his teachings, um, and then we have to also, we have to know the word of God so that we can accurately handle it to, even when we're speaking to each other, um, to our families, to those around us, and even in our minds when we're meditating and contemplating it, because what good is it if we don't, if we don't properly accurately handle the word of Christ and we're thinking about it, but it's, it's hopeless, it's, it's not, uh, there's no substance to it. So we have to know these things, we have to know them and write them on our hearts, uh, put them to our, our memory, do these things that are uh, good for our souls and for the, uh, our family's souls and our church as well. Um, and then also, one last passage, passage real quick, um, in Ezra 7.10, um, this is who we have to be like. Ezra 7.10, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So Ezra, being in a, amongst a pagan people and a king, was not ashamed, but he set his heart on the law of the Lord. He practiced the law of the Lord, and then he also taught the law of the Lord. And in the same way, we have to do the same. We have to be a worker approved by God, and we have to study it, practice it, and then also teach it to others. And this is what God has called us to do. Um, in verse, back to Second Timothy, in verses 16 to 18, Paul further explains um, how we must be diligent to present ourselves. He's further explaining and saying, But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So he commands that we have to avoid worldly and empty chatter. 
This is equivalent to the same wrangling of words which is useless in verse 14. When engaging and actually considering this type of nonsense wisdom that these worldly men are producing, um, it only stems from their own minds, for one, and then also demons, right? Because anything that isn't from God is a doctrine of a demon, and it comes from Satan, the father of all lies. But then Paul tells us also that it leads to further and further ungodliness. So we cannot partake in it. We cannot just sit back while it's happening. We can't uh, act like nothing is happening or, uh, you know, we ignore it and just let it be. And then as we'll see in verse 25, Paul isn't saying to never engage men because he's saying avoid, but he's not saying to never engage men if they disagree with the Bible. Because even in the previous letter in 1 Timothy 6.20, it says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding wisdom or avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Um, so we have to guard what has been ours and what is guard me but to fight back against. So we'll see as well as we go forward that we have to um, we have to get rid of these men. And so um, so we can't we can't think that Paul is just meaning to never speak to anyone who disagrees with the Bible because that would be nonsense. We wouldn't be able to live a life. We wouldn't be able to fulfill the commission that Christ has given us. So when he says this, avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Um, he's meaning to not engage in it and not to uh, partake in it. And even more so, um, so these, uh, these men, their talk, it is spreading like gangrene. And gangrene is a type of sickness. It's a deadly cancer that is going to kill the body. And this is what um, Paul is telling them. He's saying that these men are going to kill the body if you don't take care of it. And then, um, so what is, in the same way, wisdom from the world, wisdom from Satan, will spread and kill the whole body unless dealt with properly. And we cannot be gentle with these men who wish to corrupt the purity of the church. They have op opposed with the true knowledge from the scriptures. So they're not opposing just us, they're not just opposing Paul, they're not just oppo opposing Timothy, but they're opposing the very God of the scriptures. And when he says that their talk will spread like gangrene, he's saying that it will destroy the whole body. And we have to purge the evil one from among us, as Moses says in Deuteronomy 19. He says that we have to purge the evil man from among us, um, or else he's going to destroy us. Um... And then, so when it says this, we have to um, get rid of these men. And even more so, it's saying that they have already upset the faith of some. So they're claiming this invisible resurrection because they're saying, um, among them are Hymenaeus and Philitus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. So the sickness that Paul's talking about that's going to spread, it already has spread. It's spread in a way. And so Paul is saying that you have to get rid of these men. If we're sick, what do we do? We get healthy. We get rid of our sickness. If we have cancer, if we have a deadly disease in our body, we have to do whatever it takes to not die from the infirmity, right? And so in the same way, uh, we should do the same because it is going to corrupt us all. Um, and they're claiming, again, the invisible resurrection, which is the total opposite of what Christ preached during his life. He taught that there, it was going to be a visible 
resurrection, that they were uh, a visible uh, resurrection, and then also a visible second coming of Christ, that he was going to shine forth in the sky, right? And so all of these things um, that Christ is preaching, they're opposing the very words of Christ when they do this. So they're not opposing us, they're opposing Christ. And so we have to not be like these men. Um, these men, they have no shame when they oppose the word of God. They're not being diligent, handling the word of God accurately. But we, we have to, we have to uh, also have no shame. When we oppose them, we cannot be fright, uh, fearful of opposing men who are so antagonistic and so determined to kill the body of Christ, to oppose God straight to his face when they have the word of God in front of, in front of them. So we have to be the same. We have to not be ashamed when it comes to defending God's word. Because these men, like it says, they've already upset the faith of some. And even Paul, Paul is giving us this example. He does not tolerate men like this. And in the same way, we shouldn't. And then even a step further, Paul, he goes um, even to the point of giving people over to Satan. In 1 Timothy 1.20, it says, It says, Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So Paul even goes to that extent of saying that he's handed these men over but why is he doing it? It's because, for one, that they will be taught not to blaspheme, but then also because they are going to corrupt the purity of the church. And Paul is desirous of the sanctification of the church, of their well-being, of the pure, of those who actually want to know the Bible, who want to grow in their faith. These things, they want to know the truth. But Hymenaeus and Philetus, they're not. They're the ones wrangling over words. They're the ones not accurately handling the word of truth. They're the ones distorting the word of God, making things confusing. And they're the ones saying that God is a God of confusion. Let me enlighten you, but we cannot listen to these men. We have to listen to those people that say, thus says the Lord. Um, and so, in the same way, uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, um, it talks about... Well, I'll just read it. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 8, it says, Your boasting is not good. Do you, know not, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the, the, the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the leavened bread of sincerity and truth. So a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and we must dispose of it, lest it spreads and keeps spreading. And we cannot let it keep going. This is loving to ourselves, to our families, to our church, and to the one who's thrown out, or rather, handed over to Satan, as it might bring them to their senses. It might bring about their repentance. And so we have to do the same, just as Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul is teaching us, and teaching Timothy to do to his church. We have to do the same within ours. Um, being a diligent workman who is found uh, blameless in the sight of God. And then verses, uh, verse 19 reads, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So through these issues that arise, we can be comforted with God's, God's firm foundation and his seal. So the Lord knows those who are his. We are comforted because God knows each one of his children. He does not have to guess who is who, who is among the sheep, who is among the goats, who is among the, the chaff and who is among the wheat? 
right? God in his perfect sovereignty, he is the one who has chosen us. He is the one who has given us life. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And, and in this, we should be comforted. In this, we should rest, right? Because although all this turmoil is happening, we should not be fearful. We shouldn't be uh, afraid of that God. You don't know what's happening. But it, God does know what's happening. Um, he knows those who are his. He knows that Hymenaeus and Philetus are, are false brethren, that they are workers of iniquity, that they are, their master is Satan. He's not surprised by this. And in, the, um, and in John 6, we're assured of this calling all, 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 sorry, all over John 6. Um, when it says that the Father who, uh, you cannot, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so it's true that God is the one who brings about a person's salvation. And this is what we should be comforted in, in that way. But then also, uh, we of flesh and bone, we can know as well, because he says, those who abstain from wickedness are those whom the Lord has chosen. So we know because the one who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So it's not just the mere profession of our mouth. It's not just the mere profession of walking the aisle or saying a prayer or doing these things, getting baptized. Although these things are good in and of themselves, right? Praying, getting baptized, these are ordinances that we should do. But that doesn't make one a true believer. Um, it, it doesn't, the way it's manifested. And so Paul says we must abstain from sin and the things of this world. This is how we can know those who are his and that's how we are also comforted in this life because we can know this man is a false teacher because he's not teaching according to the word of god this man is a is a uh, true brother because he's speaking from the word of god he's saying things that are accordingly uh, according to the word um and then also we have other passages that teach us this like in first john one and then first john uh three as well and uh first john one it says that this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. <coughs> Sorry, this is First John 1, verses 5 to 10. Um, and then it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one, one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from, from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this should be an encouragement all the more for us because uh, for us to be sure that we are dilig diligent in handling the word of God. Because we know that um, although if we say we walk in the light, yet we, uh, or if we say we, uh, we're in the light, but yet walk in darkness, we're lying and do not practice the truth. And so John and Paul are both telling us the same thing, that we need to abstain from wickedness. And that's how we're to distinguish the righteous from the wicked. And this is all over the, the scriptures. There's always this constant contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And even now this is true, that uh, this is our comfort. Where we can know that uh, God has not forsaken us. That in the midst of craziness, that it may seem that uh, there is the people of God that he has set back for himself, the remnant. Um, and so we have to, together as well have our mindset on these things where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So it's not a lonesome fight, but it's those who are abstaining from wickedness together. We have to do this as one. Um, verses 20 to 21, it reads, uh, Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. So um, 
in these next two verses, there's two different ways that you could really take what Paul is saying here. Um, the two ways, they don't contradict one another. They don't um, contradict Scripture in any way, um, in any other portion. Both are fitting and equally true. And it doesn't discredit Paul either, um, because some would say that he's an unclear communicator. But that's not true either, because these two, two, these two things also deal with the passage, and uh, these two things must be done. So the first proceeds uh, that when Paul says, now in a large house, when he says this, um, it could be meaning, this is the first one, the visible church of God, right? So just as in a large house, you have uh, gold and silver vessels for honorable things that are worthy of showing and making mention, such as nice expensive china. One also has vessels of wood and earthenware that are used for dishonorable things like trash bags, toilets, etc., whatever it might be. And in the same way, you have the visible church of God, right? With the gold and the silver and the wood and of earthenware. The gold and silverware or silver are those who are pure in God's sight because, uh, because of Christ. They're the ones who avoid the worldly and empty chatter. They're the ones who do not pursue wrangling over words. They are the ones who pursue, rather, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And they're the ones who abstain from the wickedness of the world. So they're the righteous, the gold and the silver vessels, right? And then on the other hand, you have the wood and the earthenware who claim to be gold, who claim to be vessels of silver. They claim to be Christians, but yet they're men like Hymenaeus and Philetus. They're displeasing to the Lord. They're the ones who are wrangling. They're the ones who are disrupting the faith. They're the ones who are saying that I know the secret knowledge. And Paul is saying, um, well, they, they claim to be children of God. They say they follow and love the truth, but they deny Christ by their works. Um, and then, therefore, when he says in verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. He's saying, when you, sancti uh, when you cleanse yourself, he's saying, cleanse yourself from these men who wish to spread their false doctrine among you. Sanctify, or, I'm sorry, uh, cleanse yourself from their sin, from their uh, wickedness. Get these men away from you. And then, he says, uh, when we cleanse ourselves from these men, the rabble-rousers, rather, uh, we as a church, and then also individually, we will be a vessel, sanctified, honor, and then useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So in this way, when we get rid of the chaff, when we get rid of the evil, when we get rid of the wicked, uh, we become more pure, in a way, in God's sight. And that's what he's saying, is that we, uh, we become this vessel, that is fit and that's prepared for every good work that God has called us to do. Um, and so the other way to take it, which I think uh, I lean towards this, the second, this is the, the second way. It says, um, well, I'm sorry. So the other way to take it is when Paul says a large house, he means a reference to the individual. So like just the individual within the church and in the individual of a true believer, I'm sorry. And in the individual, there are gold and silver vessels those being the things brought by the Spirit of Christ, so righteousness, faith, love, and peace, the fruit of the Spirit according to Galatians 5. But we know that while being in the flesh, we're still, uh, we still deal with our sin. We're at war with our sin still. The, body, the members of our body are constantly fighting against sin and unrighteousness, and we have to put those things to death. And so that we know that um, we still reside in this body and we still have the stains of the flesh according to Romans 7. Um, according to Ro we'll flip there, Romans 7, verse 14 to 25. Romans 7, verses 14 to 25. 
It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, for, uh, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present within me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So, like Paul is saying, in one way, he's pleasing the Lord with the gold and the silver vessels, right? These things which are brought by the Spirit of Christ. But then on the other hand, we still have the flesh. We have our sin that we have to deal with. And this is the, the dishonorable things, the, earth, the uh, wood and the earthenware, that we must get rid of, that we have to, like uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, he says... Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, so we have to cleanse ourselves from the wood and earth, and we have to cleanse ourselves from sin and temptation and these things which are polluted by the flesh. And then, he says, he will be a, ve a vessel honored and sanctified and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So we have to get rid of these things and put on the, put on the new man. And this is what is pleasing to the Lord. And so... Um, this all has to be done, obviously, through the Spirit of Christ. We cannot do it on our own. Um, when he says, therefore, cleanse himself, he cannot mean by his own doing, by his own work, by his own power, right, by his own ability, because we know that Paul believes in predestination, elections, the sovereignty of God. But also, we know that um, we have to be a willing slave of Christ to do this. And we have to put our minds and set our minds to do this. And we have to be willing to... Um, to put ourselves underneath God and underneath His Word and letting... We have to sanctify and cleanse ourselves from these things, the wood and the earthenware. And so, the the reason why I take it this way is because it seems to me that um, throughout it, he's talking about... I'm sorry, right before that, he says, the one who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And so that's why I think right after it, he goes into this now in a large house... So in this way, I think he's talking about the individual, the sin that lies within him, but then also the works of the Spirit is also within him. But then the people, uh, other people that do take it the other way, um, that the large house is the, is the church, the visible church, right? The, one, um, they, the people that take it that way, it's because of um, they have to get rid of men like Hymenaeus and Philitus, these men, so they uh, use it in that way, if that makes sense. Um, so, verses 22 to 23, it says, uh, we'll read here. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So, he continues here with the way that I'm taking verses uh, 21, 20 and 21, that we have to cleanse ourselves from these dishonorable vessels. We have to flee 
from youthful lust, from the things that so easily beset us, the things that are wood and earthenware. We have to get rid of this from inside of us. We have to cleanse ourselves. We have to pursue instead these good and holy things, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. These are the things which God is pleased with, not our sin, not the things that we can do on our own, not the, not the things that we muster up on our own. But these are the things that God is pleased with. Um, and so just in the same way, just as, like Joseph did with uh, Potiphar's wife, he fled from Potiphar's, uh, from Potiphar's wife when she was trying to catch him in sin. And in the same way, we have to flee from all of our sin. We have to flee from the things that so easily beset us. And as a, as a child, we're prone to fall into sin. We're prone to fall into things easily, and we cannot be that way. We have to be mature. We have to, be, um, we have, to have strong faith. We have to overcome our sin by the Spirit of Christ. And so we cannot, also if you notice that, we cannot do this alone. Because he says that um, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So just as we see throughout the Bible, there's always a remnant who are together. And they're always pursuing God together. They're not doing it as a lone Christian. And in the same way, we have to do this. We have to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We have to pursue it together with those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. And then how do we know who those, who has a pure heart? Well, what pours forth from the mouth, right? Because uh, whatever is in the heart will come forth. And uh, we have to, right, that's what Paul says, that if one who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So in the same way, we can know those who have a pure heart in a way. Not, uh, not that we're going to be perfect, not that we're going to be sinless, because that's what First John said. It says that those who say that they have no sin, they're a liar. They make God a liar. That's not true. God isn't a liar, but we're liars when we say that. And so um, we have to be diligent in these things. Um, not wrangling over words, not um, not being involved in worldly and empty chatter, not being in these things, right? Not giving way to these men who like to disrupt our faith, who like to say, uh, like to make fables and myths and use their own whims and imaginations when it comes to the scriptures. But we have to be faithful to the word of God, just like Joseph was when he fled from Potiphar's wife. Um, and then he further commands that we must refuse, in verse 23, uh, refuse the foolish and ignorant speculations given by men. So, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And so, as stated before, these things do not edify, but they only bring more and more and more ungodliness. These things that are not pleasing to the Lord, if we indulge in them, they only bring about more misery, more wrath on the day of judgment for us these senseless topics they only bring about quarrels he says and they they lead to destruction so those who love wrangling and speculating they love to quarrel they love to fight they love to uh they they it stirs them up you can just tell by the way that they speak when they when they try to incite people to get people to agree with them or just to tell people what they're believing in it's, you can tell that the spirit within them, it's an evil spirit, and that they're, they're not trying to seek truth. They're trying to seek their own, um, their own voice, their own image. They're trying to um, get the glory and the honor, not give God the glory and the honor, which he deserves. And so, in Second uh, Peter 1, verse 16...
In 2 Peter 1, verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So just like Peter is telling us, is just like what Paul is telling us, so we should not follow these fictitious fables, but we should rather destroy them, um, destroy them and any lofty thought that's raised against the knowledge of God. And that, uh, that's just like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 and 6. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 and 6. It says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking captive, or we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So we have to destroy the speculations, these foolish, ignorant speculations. And we have to take captive every thought, every obedient thought to Christ. And when we do this, this is what will be on our minds. This is what will be on our lips. This is what is going to unite us as a church of God. And this was what is going to bring about unity and peace among the brethren, among the saints of God. But it will drive out those who are chaff, those who are gangrene, those who are wheat, or not wheat, um, those who are the goats, right? It will drive out the wicked from among us, and we can know those who are his. Um, so, and then furthermore, Paul tells us what we must be like in verses 24 to 26. It says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, and patient when wrong. So Paul is even now telling us that we cannot be quarrelsome. That shouldn't be our attitude. We can't be fighting. We can't be bickering all the time. Uh, we cannot be like these deceivers who like to come in and to undermine the church, who wish to have the stage, who wish to have a name for themselves. But we have to be kind to all. And that, this, is, this is just common sense. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. This is what Jesus says in Luke 6.31. So in the same way, that's, we should do what Jesus commands us, is be kind to all. And so we don't want others coming in, uh, spreading their spiritual sickness, spreading their spiritual death among us. And so in the same way, we must be diligent in accurately handling the word of Christ. So we should be uh, not spreading sickness or disease among each other, right? In that way, we should be focused and uh, have our minds right when we uh, think and speak about the word of Christ in that way. Um, and we, then the, the next section, it says, uh, Be kind to all, and then able to teach. So the Lord's bondservant must be able to teach. And this applies to all of us, because he says the Lord's bondservant, the Lord's slave, right? And so when we speak of God's word, word to whomever it is, whether it's to our families, to our children, to our wives, to our husbands, right? Whoever it is, our neighbors, we are teaching the word of God in a way, when we're making a proclamation about his word saying, this is what this is saying, or, you know, this is what this is saying, we are making an assertion on the word of God. And so this requires us to, uh, to know the word of God, that we have to be diligent in studying it still. And this just goes back to verse uh, 15. So we cannot be slothful in this. Um, we have to be encouraged by one another as well, because when we speak to one another, the main things that should be on our lips how do we encourage each other but by speaking the word of God to each other? Right? This is the this is the most important thing in our lives, and this is what we want to know the most, right? We want our children to know this, we want our grandchildren to know this. And so we should be able to teach in this way to teach each other, to teach our children and our families, and then even those around us when we preach the gospel. Anyone that 
uh, who would give an ear to us, like uh, anyone that would give an ear to us, we must pre preach the gospel to. And uh, we have to make sure that we are accurately explaining it when we do. And then he says, um, sorry, yeah, sorry. And then he says, uh, patient when wronged. So if someone strikes us on the right cheek, we should turn the other toward them also. We, we need to have patience knowing that God has not forgotten his seal. He's not forgotten his righteous and his firm foundation. But he will judge the wicked according to their deeds. And, then, and all people must give an account to God on the day of judgment. So whatever happens, we have to trust in God. Be patient when we are wronged, even if that means turning the other cheek for them to slap or stri uh, striking. And um, whatever happens, we have to be blameless uh, in the sight of God and not be caught up in our anger and not uh, be quick to anger in this way. And then he says, with gentleness, uh, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. So when he says with gentleness, it is not referring to those who love to uh, wrangle, those who love to quarrel, those who love worldly and empty chatter, these, those who love to spread their spiritual disease, their spiritual cancer among the body of Christ. Because if we deal with these people gently, they're going to stay among us. They're not going to disperse from us. They will destroy and uh, corrupt the purity of the church. But instead, uh, the, well, so, okay, so these are the ones that we must not tolerate, but call them out sternly, just like Jesus did in Matthew 23 with the Pharisees and the scribes when he pronounced the woes upon them, when he called them uh, whitewashed tombs, when he called them blind guides, when he called them dirty dishes, when he called them serpents and brood of vipers, right? Those are not pleasant things. That's not gentle at all, but that's sternly calling them out. But what were they doing day after day after day? They were constantly harassing him. They were trying to constantly trap him and see if they could find some way to trip him up in his words. But Christ knew what they were doing, and it, so Christ had enough of it, and he called them out for what they were. He called them uh, these things, which is not very pleasant in the sight of the world. But in all reality, this is what God commands us to do. And he says um, that, you know, it. so th yeah, so this is, this is what we should do with these type of men, the rabble-rousers who delight in quarreling and picking a fight, and who do not trust in the word of Christ. These are the men that we have to deal with in this way. But instead, when he says with gentleness, we should correct those with gentleness, those who are in opposition, who have humility and are humble, who want to know the truth, who want to know the word of God, who are not antagonistic or trying to kill us, who are trying to trap us in our lives, or not in our lives, sorry, in our words, and trying to uh, find a way to put us to death. Um... So those who are seeking uh, the truth from, the, from Scripture from a sincere heart. And this doesn't mean that we lessen sin. This doesn't mean that we should uh, take a lighthearted approach when it comes to calling out things. But it means that we should approach it differently than we would if approaching a man who's obstinate, who is uh, hard of hearing, who's violent, who's um, angry. Right? There's a clear distinction between a man who doesn't care about the Word of God, who only cares about his own opinion, and doesn't care what anything has to do with it. Like he says he believes in the scriptures, but then doesn't doesn't quote a thing, and doesn't care what you bring up. But then there's a difference between the person who is humble and has humility to the word of Christ. This is the person that we should correct with gentleness, that um, that God may grant them repentance. Um, because this is what we want as well. We want God to grant them repentance. Those who are humble and have humility. 
And in this way, this, uh, this is a type of prayer that we should have as well. And then also, this again, this is a work of God if any man repents. So we must rely upon him and not on our own abilities because it says that perhaps God may grant them repentance. So this is all dependent upon God. It's not anything that we can do, not any words that we speak, not anything that we can, not a show that we can put on, not, um, not any of these distractions that many churches do today. But it's only if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And that's what we have to trust in, that God would bring about those who are his and sift away and just uh, shoo away the ones that are not. Because if not, they're going to corrupt and destroy the purity of the church, and we don't want that. Um, and then also in verse 26, and it says, And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been, having been held captive by him to do his will. So God is able to bring these men who have no sense. They're like insane men who do not know what they're doing. Uh, because when we live in our sin, it is, it's, it's essentially what we are. We're living, it's living in a type of insanity because we're doing the thing that's killing us. And we're doing it over and over and over again. But also at the same time, it says that we are held captive by Satan. And, uh, but God is able to bring us out. He's able to bring us to our senses, make us pure. He's able to make us righteous in all these things. He does not need our permission. He doesn't need our request. He doesn't have to contend with the devil. He doesn't have to do any of these things. But he simply just changes the heart of the man. And he grants them repentance in this way. And in the same way... When we speak, we have to be mindful of all these things, which is why we have to be diligent in presenting ourselves to approve to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, right? Because if we're ashamed of God, then he will be ashamed of us on the day of judgment. If we're ashamed to speak his word, if we're ashamed of any commandment that he has, we have to realize that our lives are not our own when it comes to the Christian life. If we have truly realized that, then we can be this diligent worker approved by Christ, or um, yeah, approved to God. And in Second Timothy two as well, before this section right here, in Second Timothy two verse four, it says, "No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier." So, who is the soldiers in this case in the Christian life? Who is the soldiers higher up? Who is his uh, the one who enlisted him? It's Christ. And it's, uh, Paul says, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So what is our goal but to please Christ, to please God in this life? And we have to be diligent in doing that. Not pleasing men, not pleasing ourselves even, but we have to put to death our sin in our body. And we have to live to Christ. We have to put on the new man and put off this old man. And it's for the sake of our, our good. It's for the sake of our families. It's for the sake of our church and the purity of it. And when we do this, we can be, like Paul says, um, sorry, like he says, uh, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And that's that should be our goal. Useful to the master, prepared for every good work which God has prepared us for. And that's like Ephesians 2 as well. Um, Ephesians 2.10 Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So God has prepared the works that we should walk in them. So we have to be diligent. We have to present ourselves as these diligent workers to walk in them.
Um, and then I'll just end with Second uh, Timothy three, verse verses uh, fourteen to uh, seventeen. Second Timothy three verses fourteen to seventeen it says, "You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them." And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So this is what we have to be mindful of. We have to be ready for every good work. Um... We have to remember the sacred teachings and the writings. Um, yeah, and all questions can uh, be answered by Jerry next week. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could ask me a question, but not during the right now. So. Uh, maybe after.